Lord be with you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, this church. We thank you for your word. We come to you tonight, Lord, uh, trusting you to speak through your word to us, even in this crazy and bizarre story. Uh, we ask that you would um, give us comfort uh, to know that you work in the lives of uh, sinners. And God, that you would uh, be with us uh, as we lean into uh, the life of Samson. Pray that you would uh, just keep us safe and all of those we love uh, tonight in this crazy wind. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all are my intrepid folks, and so glad that you are here tonight. Um, so, if you grew up hearing that Samson was a hero of the faith, and that God made him strong because of his faith in God, you have been misled. <laughs> that is how um, it is often taught in Sunday school because Sunday school teachers know that little boys love to hear stories of big, strong guys. I mean, you know, that just is so appealing to them. And yet, Sunday school teachers, I mean, they don't know what to do with this guy. He is bananas. He is a nut. So, uh, so but he's in the Bible, and, you know, so it must, he must have good faith uh, in God. Now, if I, I, I meant to, if I was walking over here, I had the thought, I, shoot, I didn't look at Hebrews chapter 12. I think that they put Samson in the, that faith hall of fame. Is that right? Well, let's probably look up Hebrews chapter Maybe it's 11. In the Faith Hall of Fame. And I think Samson is listed there. Or maybe he's just listed among those sort of... In the, um, his Hebrews chapter 11. He's in there as... as how, what does it say? Samson's a judge. Yeah. Right. So he is. He's talking about this. this that's the Faith Hall of Fame that the author of Hebrews is talking about. We we call it, we have call it that. Um, but he's talking about the importance of faith. Jephthah was not great, and. Um, but, no, that was the one. He was the one that partnered with uh, Deborah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was probably Barak. No. Um, all right. So he, this, so Samson is the opposite of who you want your son to grow up to be, right? He is, uh, he is a womanizer uh, with a violent temper, uh, and twice that we are told uh, in his story. His story covers Judges thirteen. Through 16, and uh, twice we are told that he judged Israel for 20 years. And yet, we never even see him using good judgment, let alone solving other people's problems, like they would come to him and, and he would solve their disputes. He is just walking around doing whatever he wants to do, and amazingly, the, uh, the Spirit of the Lord multiple times rushes upon him. Isn't it strange? We never see him worship. We never see him do his devotions. The only, we see him pray twice. And the first time, 
uh, he prays, is essentially a complaint. And the last time he prays is moments uh, before he dies. Um, it is, this is a story, Samson is a story of the scandalous depths of God's grace. And it is a story of the stubborn certainty of God's sovereignty. So the scandalous depths of God's grace and the stubborn certainty of God's sovereignty. So I have printed out a lot of these passages. Now I did actually cut out a lot too. It was like nine pages or something like that for these. Did anybody read it ahead of time? Anybody look through Samson? I would encourage you to go back through, especially after nine, you've kind of gotten the story, go back and read it. It doesn't take that long, 20 minutes or so, to read the whole thing. Uh, but it is, it's just, I love it. I mean, I just, it, but it is, it's crazy. Um, all right, so let me read uh, the first part here. So the birth of Samson and the people of Israel did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Right, so we, we've heard that many times. Uh, so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink. And eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Then no drink, so then no drink, um, sorry, so then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So things are bad in Israel, right? They're, they're bad at the author says, again, the people of Israel, again, so this is repeated, uh, did what was evil. Uh, it was, and it was evil in God's sight. It was just right out in the open. Uh, and, and you know, I mean, obviously, no secrets are hid from God. So they could have done it in secret, I suppose. But I think the author is trying to say it was, it was, there was no shame anymore. They were in a culture that just, I mean, it was, had kind of fallen out of fashion to worship uh, the Lord. Uh, I wonder what that would be like. Um, and, the, and, the cons- and, and so the, there's consequences. They did, again, what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So, therefore, the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, you are, you are Bible scholars enough to know that the, word, uh, the, the period of time for 40 years is significant throughout Scripture. Uh, and uh, that was the time of wandering in the desert. There's a time of um, it's the time of wandering from Moses before the uh, burning bush. Uh, we saw the burning bush. He was out there shepherding. Uh, just over and over again, we see the number forty. And, it, and of course, it probably doesn't mean forty years exactly, um, but it just means uh, a long time. Uh, and and so, but it's significant. It's a generation and a half, right? At least. 
And, and so after that long, it's just become what's expected. And Israel has really lost its identity and any expectation they have that they're really God's people in the land that they're living in, that they've, got a, uh, they've lost their mission about kicking out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Moabites and all those guys. The scholar uh, Barry Webb uh, wrote a uh, commentary on, on Judges that says this, Israel as a nation has almost ceased to exist. It's terrible to find something that's evil, so irresistible, that you find yourself turning to it again and again, in spite of all that God has done to rescue you from it. It takes away your dignity, saps your strength, leaves you hopeless. And yet that's how Israel is at this point. I mean, if, if you didn't know he was talking about Israel, you, you could hear that description. Uh, it's terrible to find something so, um, that's evil, so irresistible, that you find yourself turning to it again and again in spite of all that God has done to rescue you from it, takes away your dignity, saps your strength, leaves you hopeless. That's, I mean, that's an addict. That's, that's a perfect description of addiction. And, and so we see Israel is, they are idol addicts. And they have, they have departed uh, from the Lord. And it's left them uh, hopeless. And now they are a generation and a half uh, under the rule of the Philistines. Uh, who are we, you know, David always has pro- problems with the Philistines, and that's several generations later. This is, um, this is this, the Philistines were a mighty uh, people. And yet it is into the darkness, this godlessness, uh, that a light shines. This hope of a Savior appears on the horizon, and it's, it was completely unexpected. It, it's so interesting. It doesn't say hear that the people cried out. I mean, that's kind of always been the pattern, right? They, they, they fall away, and then they get oppressed, and then they cry out, and the Lord sends a Savior, but they don't cry out anymore. It's just, it's, it's, it's sad. And yet, into this sort of just desert hopelessness, all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shows up again. We've seen him throughout the book of Joshua and now into Judges several times. The angel of the Lord comes. And, and it's, uh, he, nobody asked him to. And it is a, uh, he foretells a miraculous conception announced by the angel of the Lord. I mean, that draws a straight line right where? To Jesus. You know, it's just, we are, we are looking at he, pre, he prefigures in this sense, not in every sense, but in this sense, he prefigures Christ. They are, uh, Israel is oppressed by an outside uh, nation. And in a very unexpected way, uh, the, this promise of salvation comes. He was to be specially set apart by God. The angel of the Lord claimed him for his own before even his conception. And he was to be especially set apart to God by his parents. So much so that the, the angel says, this child will be a Nazarite. And I'm going to tell you what that means in just a minute. But one of the things that a Nazarite couldn't, could not do uh, is, is drink wine. Any, couldn't eat grapes, nothing from the vine. And so important was this, the angel even told uh, the, his mother um, that... He could actually doesn't say her name, does it? 
The father's name is Manoah. Doesn't tell us her name. Maybe that's interesting. I have to look. Look in your look. Look down further. It may. But the um, but it's so interesting that that um, she, she was not allowed to drink wine during the pregnancy for that reason. She couldn't eat anything unclean. Touched. Uh, she had basically had to be a Nazarite uh, uh, herself. So the word Nazarite means holy one. Yes, go ahead. This points out that, or to me it points out, that since she was told not to eat unclean, see, by this point it deviated completely away from the law. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, uh, the law was uh, at best just a part of a heritage. I mean, I don't think that they... They were following that at all. They were they were essentially living in a Philistine culture. I mean, that, that's kind of that's where they were, uh, at least at this part. This is this is south. This is sort of parallel with the Dead Sea, Gaza area. Um, yeah. Is that right, the derivative of Nazareth? Uh, is, he asked if it's a is that a derivative of the word uh, Nazareth? Probably. I, I I don't have an answer for that. It makes good sense that that uh, Nazareth would be maybe like a holy place. I don't know Hebrew very well, oh well, at all. Um, but the, uh, but <laughs> my sources tell me that the word Nazarite uh, means a holy one, which is another word for saint, right? So holy one, the holy Nazarite. And so if you can read all about it in Numbers chapter 6, you probably did this morning. Um, and, um, and so a Nazarite was, was someone who set themselves apart as, as a uh, sort of seriously committed lay person. And anybody could be a Nazarite. Uh, and it was usually just for a set amount of time. Uh, and he, there were three things that, that you uh, could not do. Uh, you could not eat or drink anything from the vine. No, no vinegar, no wine, no grapes, no seeds, no grape skins, no nothing. Uh, you could not have a razor touch your head. You couldn't cut your hair. You couldn't cut your beard if you're a dude. And you could not have any association with the dead. Uh, in fact, I, as I read through Numbers uh, today, it's, it says if your mom and her dad dies, too bad. I mean, you can't do anything. And if you do, if someone's standing next to you and drops dead, then there's a whole, like a whole, several paragraphs of what to do to cleanse yourself uh, so that you can fulfill your vow. But it's usually for a limited time uh, of dedicated, separated service to the Lord uh, by a committed layperson. Samuel was very unusual in the fact that he didn't take the vow himself. God imposed it upon him. Uh, from womb to death. Now, interestingly, the angel of the Lord says from the womb. It is his mother who says to death. But she's, she's right, like moms usually are, right? Um, we see a, a couple of others in Scripture who took the Nazarite vow, it seems to be, for their whole life. One was the prophet Samuel, who anointed uh, David. Anybody know the other one? No, but Paul, not for life, though. Paul did. Paul. Yeah, he did take a vow. The other that seems to have taken this vow for life. John the Baptist. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I don't know that John is ever cons- is called a Nazarite, but he but he ate locusts and honey, had crazy hair. So, um, anyway. 
Samson breaks all the rules. He, he surely drank wine at his wedding feast. Uh, he kills people, he kills animals. It's, he's, it's bizarre. And, um, and it, obviously, Delilah, we're, we'll get there in a little bit. Um, the razor touches his head. All right, so, so that's really the story of his birth. If you wanted to go back and look at the end of chapter 13, you would see uh, Manoah and, Sam, and Samson's mother kind of arguing, sort of a funny uh, back and forth. And, um, and, you know, the wife is right, basically, is where, where it uh, ends up. But, the, um, uh, but it's, very, it's, just a, it's, a, it's interesting that, that the book of Judges, very, Samson is unique in that there's a birth narrative. We don't, ever, we don't get that for any of the other judges. Um, and, it, and, and it's considerable. And then we have a lot of Samson's life. The fact that uh, Samson is the judge speaks to how far Israel had fallen as a nation. So we have Samson's marriage. Um, Samson went down, I'm not going to read obviously the whole uh, chapter, but Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah, which is a place in, uh, the, in Philistia. And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, isn't there a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you have to go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Very interesting, verse 4. Her, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So, I mean, get her for me. I mean, that's just, I mean, we, we see that Samson is, um, is not an ad, a feminist, right? He's not an advocate for, for women's rights. Uh, she's right in my eyes, echoes the uh, phrase that we hear uh, throughout the book of Judges, but especially at the very end, which says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes, right? So he's intermarrying, um, which is fine for us in our day, because we live in the day of the fulfilled covenant, but not in the, uh, for these guys in the promised land where they were to remain uh, a, a pure people uh, and kick out the Canaanites. Um, they were, uh, he was possessing, uh, certainly viewing this woman uh, with indignity. We never find out her name. Uh, and he is breaking commandment number five, at least it looks to me, uh, bossing his dad around. Uh, not honoring his parents. Um, and astoundingly, perhaps, although if we know the story, uh, then maybe it ceases to be quite as astounding. But this brokenness, this humanness, is the door through which God enters in. Uh, and that should give us all hope, I think, uh, to see when either when things look bad in our own lives, we look in, our, in the mirror and go, what was I thinking or we look in the world around us, we see that God is entering in through brokenness. If there wasn't brokenness, we wouldn't need Jesus. Um, so let me tell you just sort of the rest of the story. Uh, they prepare a, a wedding feast, and they're walking down, and they're attacked by a lion. And, um, and Samson, did, it says Samson didn't have anything in his hand, and, but he tore the lion apart as you would a young goat. <laughs> I just think, 
never torn a young goat apart with my hands. But I think uh, the point is that he was really strong. But that was just it's such a strange thing. So a week later, after they've done, made the preparation for the feast, they're going back along this, and the, in the carcass of the lions, uh, there, a nest of bees has formed and made honey. And Samson, remember, he wasn't supposed to touch any dead things. He reaches into the carcass of the lion and scoops out the honey and eats it and shares some with his mom and dad. Uh, delicious. And, um, and then they have a uh, wedding feast. And, he, and these Philistine wedding guests, he says, uh, he's the one throwing the feast, Samson is. But he says, let me uh, tell you a riddle. And he says, um, I wish I could, uh, somebody read it for me. Do you have it there? What's the, what's the riddle? Because I, I remember the answer, but what? Go ahead. Yeah. Now that is pretty amazing that Samson was such a poet that it was going to rhyme in English 3,000 years later. Pretty amazing, Samson. No, that's okay. So, um, so by day four, they're freaking out because they, and they come to the wife and they say, are you trying to impoverish us? I mean, you can imagine how difficult it must have been their life if each of those 30 guys buying a shirt for Samson was going to impoverish them, but they were really upset about it. And they press her, and, um, and, she, t- and she goes to Samson, and she says, tell me, tell me the answer, you know, don't you love me, or whatever. So he tells, tells her, and then she goes back and tells her kinspeople, and of course they answer, and they said, now you owe us, you know, 30 uh, shirts, and, and, and he gets real mad, and he goes to the next town and kills a bunch of people. I mean, like you do. And, um, and in the midst of that, uh, the father-in-law says, says, well, that's the end. That's the last we'll see of Samson. So he takes his daughter, Samson's wife, and gives her to Samson's best man. Uh, and, and, that's, and, and I guess thinks that's the end of that story. Um, at least she's married off. Now, uh, after some days, at the end of the wheat harvest, this is one of my favorite stories in Scripture, and in the sense, not for its devotional nature, but just how weird it is. At, uh, at the time of the wheat harvest, which means the, you know, the, the field is, is grown up and it's ripe and, and they're getting ready, to, uh, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. I guess he's sort of a peace offering. <laughs> Sorry, I killed your neighbors. Uh, and he said, I'll go into my wife uh, in the chamber, but her father wouldn't allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she is? Take her instead. <laughs> Culture. And Samson said to them, this time I'll be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So, so Samson went and caught 300 foxes. <laughs> and he took torches 
They turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stack grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. What? My commentary, my, my study Bible just said, it, perhaps it was jackals. There were more, there were more of them around. Uh, and they're pack animals and foxes are solitary. Who cares? I mean, where do you catch? And what do you do with the other 250? Well, you got to go get 50 more. And what do you, I mean, how is he not going to get scratched to just kingdom come while he's tied their tails to a torch? And how long does it take to set 150 torches? I mean, it is the craziest, most bizarre thing in the Bible, if you ask me. I think Jonah's nauseous whale has nothing on this story. Um, I, I just, and so the Philistines said, who has done this? I mean, they are, you know, they are certain, I mean, they're, they're whole, I mean, there's these fried foxes and, and all their olive, olive um, orchards are, are burned down. Samson, the son of the Timnite, because he's taken his, um, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he took his wife and gave her to his best man. And the Philistines came up and burned her. They <laughs> How burn her and her father with fire. And Samson said, if this is what you do, I swear I'll be avenged on you. Like he's now he's mad because they killed the wife. He started it. Should have just given him the goat. Anyway, um, so he, he struck him hip and thigh with a great blow. And then he went and stayed in a cave, cleft of the rock and eat him. Okay. I just think, I mean, I don't know what to say. So, isn't it, when you're reading scripture, don't miss this stuff, right? Don't just skim over it and think, maybe about 300 foxes. I mean, you could. You could just keep going. If you stop and, stop and think about what's being said, it is some really entertaining stuff. I, don't, I think if you try to make a movie about Samson, it would, it would fail in the theaters because it's just so bizarre. Like, nobody would believe. That's totally unbelievable. We, we would go watch the Hulk or whatever. But that's just completely, I mean, this is unbelievable. 300 foxes. That is bizarre. Well, listen, I mean, the guy obviously has some skills, you know, um, he had some skills. So naturally, the Philistines are thinking, well, the, listen, we are waging, we rule over these people and look what this Israelite has done. So they naturally do what you would think that they would do is they go to wage war on the Israelites and the Israelites are like, hold up, what, why are you doing this? And they say, because of Samson and the foxes. And so... Uh, the Israelites said, we'll get Samson for you. And Samson lets him. He just says, just promise me, you, Israelites, won't harm me. You tie me up and you're not going to hit me with an axe or whatever. Just, you, you, fine, you tie me up. So they take him, uh, they take him back to the, uh, to the Philistines. Verse 14, when he came to Lehi, was, I mean, he wasn't a collegiate, but I don't know. Uh, he, came, he came to Lehi. The Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord... Why, God? Why would you rush upon him? It just seems so crazy. 
The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands, and he found a fresh drawbone of a donkey, and put out his hand and took it. There's touching the dead thing again. And with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. No, he doesn't praise God, right? He just says, I have I have done this. I think if I struck down a thousand men with a donkey's jaw, I wouldn't praise God either, probably. But as soon as he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone of his hand. That place was called Ramoth Leha the hill of the jawbone. And he was very thirsty. I mean, of course he was. <laughs> I just think it's so, so funny. And he called upon the Lord. Isn't this so interesting? He's the Lord's judge. He said, you've granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and now I'm going to die of thirst and fall in the hands of this uncircumcised? Like, come on, God. Give me something to drink. And God split open the hollow place in the rock, just like he did for Moses. And water came out of it, and when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called En Hakor, the spring of him who called. I just think that is crazy. Like, why would God use someone like this? Because he's God. And he is so much more gracious than even the most gracious among us. And his purposes are so much grander. And he has so much more control over the history uh, of the universe and the happenings and the geopolitics and everything that he's in control. Even when we can't see it, even when it's completely beyond our comprehension. Why would he use someone like this? Because he is a good and gracious God. And his purposes will not be thwarted, even by... Right. Well, that's why the foxes and they wanted to get him because of the. So he now he's just trying to get away. But yeah, he did all that. But ultimately, it destroyed the Philistines, which. Well, not yet. He's about to. He's there's yeah. Right. So he's using. Remember, he said, to, he told Samson's mother, he will begin to deliver. Doesn't say he's going to get the job done. He will begin it. So with Samson, he's driving a wedge between the Philistines and the Israelites, and he's creating an unrest among the Israelites. All right. Yes. Okay. Do you care? Do you do you want? Are you speaking personally or politically? Politically. Okay, yes. Well, perhaps. Parallel of Paul Bunyan. Well, that's one the commentators didn't talk about. Go ahead. <laughs> yes. No blue oxes, though. Um, he had Delilah. That's not nice. Um... And he judged in Israel the days of the Philistines 20 years. It's crazy. Well, who would the, who would the Israelites look to except uh, to be sort of their leader as other than the guy who's like, well, I mean, that guy must be strong. <laughs> Let's follow him. 
They weren't looking for character in their leader. Was he, uh, because he was designated by his, uh, before, to his mother before he was conceived, was, did they see that? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, as I read it, I'm, I'm, I'm no expert in this, but I would say it doesn't look like they chose him because he was set up. Maybe they recognized uh, him, but it, it just doesn't say that their priests you know, recognized or that anything other than the fact that he had big muscles and long hair. I, I don't know. Well, so I, you know, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem that they had a mustard seed of faith. Although, so what happens with the mother and father is they, he says, they say, well, let, let, us, um, let us make you dinner to the angel. And he says, I'm not going to eat your food, but if you want to kill a goat, make a burnt offering. And then he goes, it steps into the flame and goes up and they say, oh my gosh, we've just seen God. We're going to die. And, and, and or, or Manoah says that. And the wife says, if he was going to kill us, he wouldn't have told me I was going to have a baby. <laughs> Again, she's much wiser. But, um, but yeah, so I, I, do they have faith? I, I, it seems they had common sense, like they had logic. Maybe they were traditionalists in that sense. It does not seem, I mean, they weren't really crying out. Although Manoah did pray to God, let me see the man who spoke. So maybe, maybe. But it's not real clear, and it's, 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 a, it's fuzzy at best. Uh, their faith. So um, there's three verses I cut out from Samson uh, in chapter 16, and what he does there is he goes to a prostitute. Um, and after this, he loved a woman. Now it's interesting. He never says he loved his wife. Uh, that he just wanted her, get her for me, right? Certainly, he doesn't love the prostitute. He just pays for her. But he loves Delilah. We don't, we're not giving any of the backstory. Uh, we don't know what the quality of his love is. Although he certainly, well, you can see for yourself. Um, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him that he may bind him to humble him. So even though he's the judge of Israel, he's not separating himself. He's still messing around with Philistine women. Um, he doesn't seem to have any sense that there is a need to separate himself from the Philistines. It's just that God's driving a wedge. But he doesn't, see, Samson, that doesn't really seem to be part of Samson's consciousness. 
The Philistines know how strong he is. And incidentally, every time he's strong, it's because the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. He probably didn't have big muscles. It's just it's the Lord's strength. I don't know. Where is his... I mean, you know, if he had great strength because of his big muscles, they would, they would know where his great strength came from. So, he probably looked like me. Where is his great strength? Like, well, I don't know. Um, and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we'll each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. That'd be good today. So, Delilah, 1,100 pieces of silver. So, Delilah says to Samson, Oh, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you may be bound that one could subdue you. <laughs> sure, honey. Get out! You know, God, and Samson said there. So Samson kind of plays along. They buy me with seven friends. So weird. Seven, not six, not eight. Seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried. Then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven, just happened to have them set here, seven fresh bowstrings, say that five times fast, seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. I guess he's asleep. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. And Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you've mocked me. You've told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. So then he tells her another, New ropes. I shall become weak and be like any other man. One of the commentators said he wants to be. Like he's so tired of being uh, you know, sort of special, set aside, Nazarite. Whatever. He wants to be like any other man. They're not held to these standards. He wants to be. He doesn't want to be who God set him apart to be. Maybe. Um, so Delilah took the new ropes and bound him and said, The Philistines are upon you. And men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber. I mean, they're theirs. I mean, they're ready. Why she warns him, maybe, maybe they just, I don't know. Why didn't, if he's asleep when she ties him up, that's what it seems like. Why didn't they just knock him on the head? I don't know. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes uh, off his arms like a threat. And Delilah said to Samson, Until now you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. He said to her again, I mean, this is an addict. I'm just, I'm, he is an addict. If you weave the seven locks of my head uh, with the web, like a loom, and fasten it tight with the pen, then I shall become weak like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head, wove them into the web, and made them tight with the pen. said, The Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep, pulled out the pen, the loom, and the web. And she said, can you believe the audacity of this woman? How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these times. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, right? Literally. And you have not told me where your great strength lies. And she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him. Uh, His soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart. And said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. 
This is bizarre. What I, here's what I don't understand about this. Surely he's already drank wine. And he's, we know that he, for certain he's already killed people and touched dead things. But yet God has maintained that strength of, upon him. But it's the cutting of the hair. That, and, and so really I guess that's the final cord is broken and, and God's strength departs from it. But if you just over and over again, he stays with her, though she is obviously out to deceive him. He is he says he loves her, but it never says that she loves him. It just says she just says, How can you say you love me? And you're not telling me the the uh, the um, the where you get your strength from. And it says uh, he tells her all his heart. Like he gives his heart fully over to her. He sells himself. I mean, this, this is a junkie. It is, it is just the saddest, it is a bizarre but sad picture. I, I mean, it's hard for me to know if it's just sort of like supposed to be dark comedy. I mean, because it is laughable to think that he stays with this woman who is continually um, act, saying one thing, tricking him, show it's, I mean, her deception is just right out in the open. But Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart. In other words, she intuitively knew he's not tricking this time. I know for sure that he's given, told me the truth. She sent, she called the lords of the Philistines, come up again, he's told me all his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him go to sleep on her knees. She called a man, had him shave off the seven locks of his head. She began to torment him. Strength left him. She said, Philistines are upon you. And he said, I'm going to go out of his other times and shake free. But he couldn't do it. He did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. That, that is this just little nugget of grace. His hair began to grow. But his hair, when you see the word but, pay attention. But his hair, the hair of his head began uh, to grow again after his head had been shaved. Um, Samson's story is Israel's story. Right? He was chosen. Before he was conceived, he was set apart for the special purposes of God. He failed. He went after uh, the foreign entities, and he was blinded because of it. His story is meant, I think, to parallel Israel's story. And yet, we see God's faithfulness through no deserving of Samson's own. That God remains faithful. He allows him to go through this terrible thing. Uh, but then we see, um, I don't know, you're probably tired of me reading, reading to you because you can read yourself. Uh, but we see, he, they bring him out to the Philistine lords. They, bring, they have a big um, party and a big sacrifice to their god, Dagon. And, um, and they're rejoicing because God, they think Dagon's given Samson uh, to them, brought them into their hands. And of course they would. It makes perfect sense uh, for their culture to, to think that. 
and and they bring him out as sort of a part jester, party trick or whatever, because he doesn't have any strength left. He can't see his eyes. His hair is all stubbly, and um, and three thousand men there and women were on the roof. All the most important, the kings and queens, the lords, they were all there. And Samson pleads to the Lord. It's the only time we see faithfulness on Samson's part. Oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines from my two eyes. And with that, he grabs the two middle pillars on which the house rested. He leans his weight on them, his right hand on the one and left hand on the other. Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength. The house fell upon all the lords and upon all the people who were in it. They all died, including Samson. That's it. That's the story. He had judged 20 years. Um, so again, God has used Samson to create um, this division. And now the people who rise up in Phil- Philistia... To take the to move into the vacuum of leadership, they wouldn't be as strong. They would be angry at the Israelites. It eventually leads to the monarchy, to first Saul, and then of course to David, and David leads to Christ. So this is all part of God's plan. But um, but again, the promise to the mother was he would begin to deliver them. Samson prefigures Jesus in that. Salvation comes in the most, and deliverance comes from the most unexpected, unlikely place in an unexpected way when people weren't even looking for it. And that's where we, how we see Jesus. But Samson also prefigures us. And this is what I mean. God offers Himself to a sinner. And that offer is not conditional upon the sinner's response. In other words, God didn't say, all right, I'm going to give you the strength, but if you mess it up, Samson, I'm not doing this again. Over and over again in Samson's life, we see that God is faithful. Samson is not whistling, great is thy faithfulness, as he's killing a thousand people with the jawbone of an ass. Right? He exhibits none of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Samson doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit in Samson was his extraordinary strength, which he, of course, used for what? His own purposes. For his his own appetites. But the fruit of the Spirit through Samson was the beginning of the deliverance of Israel. So the purposes of God thanks be to God, are not dependent upon our obedience. So let me ask you this. Yes, isn't that right? The purposes of God are not dependent upon our obedience. So why should we obey? I mean, God's not up there wringing His hands going, Ooh, I hope Ed and Lola will get it right today. The ship's going down. Why, why are they... Why obey if, if God's plans, why should we obey if God's plans aren't dependent upon our obedience? Because to help us lead a better life. To help us lead a better life, okay, sure. What else? Because we, we were created to obey and, and worship Him. And so was Samson, right? He just, he, this was what we were made for. Faith. Faith. Say it again. I mean, t- tell me more, fill that in. Just faith. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. You have faith in God. You have faith in Jesus. Right. You won't bathe because you have that faith. For sure. Okay. But in the beginning, God created the humans to have a, a, a personal relationship, and humans were to be in control. And once we went astray, that was lost. Mm hmm. So what you would what you would hope from somebody like Samson is that he sees God working in him, and his response is one of obedience and faith. And, and yet, as Israel, as Samson's story is Israel's story, so Israel's story is the human story, and that we have run from God. Our hearts are idle factories, and yet, uh, and yet God's faithfulness is never thwarted. His purposes and plans uh, are always made sure because they are His purposes and His plans. We don't change, and yet God graciously allows us to, to work in and serve, serve Him. I mean, I'm not changing the world by being here, and yet God's using you know, this to build, hopefully to build your faith, certainly to build my faith, I can assure you that. I mean, it's, it's, it is amazing how God turns to uh, people like Samson, like Joe Gibbs, and uses them for His own purposes. Think of the two strongest guys I think of, but um, just kidding. Um, so, and that's really what I have to say about that. Uh, it is a, um, it is an amazing thing. So, what do you have to say about that? Well, I just think this is just radical grace. What? Yes, Katie. Samson, to you, did not act like a typical Nazareth. Well, did he understand why he was set apart? I mean, you said it tells Delilah, I was a Nazareth, set apart by God. Yeah, but I mean, what his job in that was supposed to be. It doesn't seem that he cared much about that until the very end. Even even his prayer, he says, Let, that I may be avenged for my eyes. Yeah, it doesn't mean the, the fact is that God raised up someone that God was going to use in the midst of a faithless generation. And yet God, so God purposes were sure, even though the church wasn't thriving at that moment in history. And yet God was securely on God's side. I love it though because he, he does pray and confess mm -hmm. Oh, sure. You know, to let, us, to let them know that he's even and bad, and if you can be like Samson, that he seemed to care what he was there for, mm -hmm. um, God still redeems the whole situation. Well, yeah, so this, the hero of this story is God, like everything else in Judges. The hero is, is God. He's the one that comes shining through. It tells me that once again, God has chosen the most unlikely. Over and over. Over and over again. 
And absolutely there's hope for all of us. Because we look in the mirror, at least, I mean, I can't speak for you, but most of us look in the mirror and say, how in the world is God going to use somebody like me? And yet, I mean, there's evidence after evidence. All the people listed in that Hebrews 11, they were all, I mean, murderers, all, you know, adulterers, all, all, all through. And yet God did use them for His own glory. And what a grace that we get to jump on the train live for His glory. It's a, it, for us, faith and response, obedience is a fruit of what we've received. What else? Yeah, Lynn. Well, uh, yes. So if, if you couldn't hear, she said maybe was, was perhaps in those 20 years, was he, uh, was he doing things uh, right? All I can say is if he was, the author didn't concern with that. The author doesn't seem like that's the part of the story that is worth telling. He doesn't, I would, you would just think even that he would include something in the final prayer, Lord, I confess my sin, something. But he doesn't. He just asked for one more thing from God. One more hit, God. One more thing that I really want. <laughs> the human heart is amazing. The human heart is amazing. If we look at Samson with incredulity and judgment, we haven't looked at ourselves long enough. Yeah. In your study, when was this? When it was judges put together, uh, I'd have to go back and look at it. Uh, but I, I believe, I mean, historically, when I say historically, traditionally, uh, the church has, has credited Samuel uh, with that. But it probably at least went through revisions and, and sort of handed around uh, up to the 400s BC. So I, I, I want to tread lightly in what I'm about to say. Um, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, stories like this convey a, a literal truth um, to us about the life of faith. That does not necessitate uh, that it happened exactly like it is said. So if you believe that, and I'm, I'm not going to come down either way on, on what, how I think about it. If you believe that it happened just as it said, is said that's a great position. That is a, that is a great position. If you think, I don't think it was 300 foxes, I think it was 300 jackals. Or if you think, I don't think it was, I think it was, I mean, you know, two. And then, and, you know, it just did a big job. So, you know, or if you think, Samson was like Paul Bunyan. But it conveys a little truth. 
Like, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I want the, the Bible, always, we always need to read the Bible the way the Bible wants to be read. It's just not always exactly clear how the Bible wants to be read. And so if you say, well, this is just a story, but it speaks to us about God's grace and how He uses even the craziest people, that to me, I mean, that's what we get out of it, whether you think Samson was actual or true or not. But I think there certainly was something like this, is what I think. So, but I don't, I mean, I don't need for it to be exactly like that, like, like it's fake. I, I love it. I just think it's so fun but, um, and, and bizarre. What else? In the next two minutes. Oh yeah, I mean Samson has no idea that let this these deaths be to your glory. He just wants vengeance. Yeah, it, it, he has no idea. He has no concern for the future consequences politically. But his, to me, his consequence was when his hair was cut yes. and his eyes were gouged out, and he was in prison. Mm-hmm. So he did get some of his due for maybe not being as Nazarite as right. Well, for, for, yeah, I mean, he, 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 well, he, I mean, I think he suffered the fruit of his own behavior, I mean, without question. And yet God still used him. Will we see Samson in heaven? Well, he's in the hall of fame. It says, the Bible says he has faith. Yeah. Last one. As a Nazarite, do, do they do their own, make their own vow? Because I read it here that the his mother and father made the vow for him. So, did he make... Nazarites do make their own vow. He is uh, unique in Scripture. Okay. What that mm-hmm. Yeah, he never was his vow. Yeah. This is what he was born into. Oh, he seemed to kind of live it out. Maybe just like having long hair. Yeah. I don't know. Yes? Next week is called Family Dysfunction. <laughs> To bring your friends. <laughs> um, and that'll be the last one. Last one. Then you can enjoy your eggnog. But um, so, yeah, family dysfunction next week. We'll look at the last, last several chapters of Judges. Okay. Just in time for Christmas. Yeah, that's right. Then, then, you, then your family comes home for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be on. It'll be on the website. Okay, right. it's, it's on the website. Let's let's close with a prayer. Thank you, Lord, for uh, Samson. He is uh, he is us, and we are him. Uh, you use us despite ourselves, uh, and your purposes are made sure. We pray, God, that you would continue to work uh, through us, work in us, work around us, and all for your glory. We pray that we might, by your grace, be. Um, also uh, tools to begin the deliverance of your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.